the passage. Good morning again, everybody. It is so good to be with you. Uh, if you didn't know, Jason and I were gone. So there's that. But we're happy to be here with you. Um, first off, in announcements this morning, I just want to give you guys a huge thank you for volunteering for Soccer Club. Um, we have a full coaching staff. Yeah. And we were able to accommodate all of the kids on our wait list. So that's pretty awesome. Um, we will have our biggest club this summer with just under 200 kids. So last year was 150, so we're going to up, up the game. I'm ticking a little. Um, but it is going to be awesome. And if you didn't get a chance to sign up and you do want to be there and you want to help, we can so put you to work. Um, we have no problem finding things for you to do. So um, you just might not have a t-shirt. So those were all, the orders were all placed and we're ready to rock and roll. Um, the other announcement that I have is our partnerships with Vision House and Cedar Way become kind of a lifeline for those groups during the summer. Because during the fall and the winter months, they get a lot of churches helping out or outside groups helping out. Um, but everybody runs away in the summer and they don't get the support that they're used to. And so the way that you guys just keep on showing up every month in faithful ways, um, they know that they can count on us and it is, it's really cool. And so we are doing our Cedar Way distribution as well as Vision House for food and supplies this coming Tuesday. And um, so if you have donations, you think you might be able to help out. We do like potatoes and carrots and onions and um, toilet paper and some hair products, all that kind of stuff. There's a list. It's a digital sign up. And you just simply text the word helping to that number there, and you'll get access to that list. And all donations can come during the week on this ramp here. They just need to be here by 10 o'clock this Tuesday morning. And um, we will distribute those to all the places that they go. And so thank you again. And for those of you that are watching online, um, we just really appreciate being able to be faithful servants in our community to help others. Um, we would love to hear from you. We love it when you fill out your Connect card in your seat or online as well at brookviewchurch.com. And um, that's all that I have for you. I'm going to pray as Jason makes his way up here. God, what a gift and a privilege it is to be in this place. God, I think of a couple of summers ago where it was like, if it was this hot outside, we were melting in here. Um, and you have just abundantly blessed us with so much. We have air conditioning. We actually feel a little bit cold. Um, and it is just, the building doesn't matter, but the gathering of your people does. And we just want to stop and say thank you, God, for the way that you have abundantly pour, poured out richness and blessing in our lives because of the community that is gathered here. Would you move among us as Jason is speaking this morning? We hear you, God. We are listening. Amen. Jennifer Huguenin, you look lovely today. I just need a quick little squeeze here. Yeah. Also, do you guys notice the little tick that she had? The Did anyone else think Dumb and Dumber? You know the scene I'm talking about? Oh, Grandpa's old cough medicine. 
Oh, man. Oh, you guys, I like, I really missed you the last few weeks. Sometimes we go away and we're like, yeah, we'll watch online. And we're like, no, (laughs) you know, but we were like, yeah, no, we we watched online and um, Bryce and Annie were great and the worship teams were great. But I I missed seeing you guys, like really did miss seeing you guys, which is a good sign when you're a pastor, you go away and you're like, no, I want to be there. Um, Jen and I had just a great time, especially the first week where we just had time alone together at a, a place over in Manson on Lake Chelan. And um, we had a ton of time to just spend together and walk and talk and listen to some podcasts and pray. And it was like God just poured vision into us. And so um, it was amazing. And I, but I am back today and I'm like, I'm like filled up. I'm like ready to go. And so God gave us all this vision for primarily for the fall. And so I'm tempted to be like, here's all the awesomeness that's coming, but I don't want to jump the gun. But we, you guys, we are going to go on quite a journey this, this fall. And I really sense that God is up to something powerful among us. He has been, and he will continue to be, and I can't wait to get to it. I think that he is going to lead us into new depths with him this coming year. And so I'm coming back to you today. I'm like, I'm like all fired up. And so today I want to talk with you about a little word that sort of describes how I feel. And um, it's a word that can be filled with a lot of emotion It's a word that when used to describe God and his activity can just fill us with awe and wonder. And the word is wow. Wow. And it's interesting to me because when it comes to God, this is a word that I really don't think we could express enough. Um, So we've been gone for two weeks. I'm here today. I'll be gone next week. I've got a memorial in California to go to for my stepmom. And so today I was like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to start a series in that one-week time frame. I'm just going to do kind of a one-off, and I'm going to do a series on wow. (laughs) And at the end of this, you guys are going to be like, wow. (laughs) But this is, this is, like, if if we clear away all the junk, and we see who God is and what he's like and what he's doing in our world, that is like the only appropriate response. When we see his character and we see his heart and we comprehend how big he is and how loving he is and how kind he is and we grasp what he is currently doing in our world as well as what he is going to do on into the future, the most natural response is simply just, wow. And this is something that I think even those of us that follow Jesus closely, we find ourselves really reluctant to say, We struggle to understand what it is that God's doing in our world or in our lives. And when we look at what's going on around us, at our circumstances, what what tends to happen is we, we see all that we'd like God to do. And when he doesn't do what we want, the way we want, in the time we want, we end up spending a lot of time frustrated with God. And wow is actually the last thing that most of us feel compelled to say. And maybe you are very much in that place today. I get it. I get it because I have been in that place many times myself. I'm I'm wanting God to do something that he isn't, and it's frustrating. But in looking at Jesus throughout the New Testament, we see that people would come to Jesus wanting certain things from him. And often, along the way, he would give them something else. He would take them in a direction that they never expected. And this is because oftentimes Jesus knew our felt need 
is not our deepest need. Oftentimes, our pressing need isn't really our primary need. Often, what we most want is not the thing that we most need. And so we come to God with our urgent, pressing needs, and sometimes he doesn't do what we want him to do. And it's so natural and it's so easy to then just kind of throw up our hands and say, God, where are you? God, what is wrong with you? So this morning, we're going to see a guy who had an obvious pressing need. We just had a little ESPN. I know that. (laughs) Please don't silence that because I feel like the Spirit is speaking to me when I get that. Here we go. This morning, we're going to see a guy who had a, a, a pressing need. Like he had this urgent, obvious, tangible need, and he comes to Jesus to get that need taken care of. And Jesus does something else, something unexpected. Jesus deals with a deeper issue, a more pressing need that does not feel urgent to him. So here's the story. This is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Okay, so Jesus is in this house in Capernaum, and the crowds are dense. Like inside, it is just wall-to-wall bodies. I mean, try to, they don't have AC. Try to imagine what people were enduring in there. And outside, you can't even get to the door. People are just packed around this house, pressed up on the windows, hoping to catch a glimpse of Jesus, hoping to hear just a snippet of his teaching. Okay, verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So apparently, as soon as Jesus got back into town, while everybody else headed to the house to see and to hear Jesus, I mean, the rumors are flying about things that Jesus has been doing, the miracles and the stuff, right? So these four guys rush off, and they grab their paralyzed friend, and they say, great news, bro. The rabbi that everybody is talking about is in town. He's here. And we, by the way, I'm like, we just had the all-star game here. Some of you are like, it was right in our town. This is Jesus in your town. So he's like, you could be healed. You could be healed. Can you believe this? Like, maybe you won't have to lie on this mat and beg every day for the rest of your life. He's like, great. So they hoist him up, and they carry him on this mat, who knows how far, and when when they get to the house, the crowds are so thick, they cannot get their friend inside. You have to imagine how frustrating that was. So... They're talking about it, trying to figure out what to do, and they come up with an idea, and they climb up on the roof, a roof made of branches and reeds and dried mud, and they hoist their paralyzed friend up onto the roof, and then they dig a hole through the roof. So try to picture this, right? Jesus is teaching, and you can hear a pin drop. Suddenly, everybody begins to hear scratching up on the roof, and then there's some pounding 
And then they hear some voices, and pretty soon there's stuff fluttering down on Jesus, right? There's reeds and dried mud, like in his hair and in his beard and everything. And he's not like me. He doesn't get distracted by that stuff. So he just, like, carries on. And, but then they hear pounding, and they hear some voices, and pretty, you know, pretty soon uh, the homeowner looks at Jesus, and he's like, and Jesus is like, Phew. I don't know what to tell you. But this is, this is escalating. So the sermon is pretty much over at this point, and that's when the sunlight breaks through this hole in the ceiling, and everybody's looking up at this hole, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and eventually the digging stops, and there are four faces peering down at Jesus. And then the light in the hole gets clouded for just a second because something is being lowered down through the hole. And pretty soon everybody can see it's a paralyzed guy on a mat. I mean, imagine you're the paralyzed guy. This is awkward. You're, you're lying on your back, right, and you're being lowered down. You can't see anything going on below you. You have no idea what's going on. All you can see is the hole in the roof and your friend's faces, and they're, looking at, they're just looking at you, trying to be encouraging. They're like, you got this, bro. <laughs> so finally, you get low enough, and you look over, and there's Jesus. And he peers over the edge of your mat, and there's a growing murmur, right, in the crowd, a buzz in the crowd, but everybody's trying to hush it, right? So everybody's just like, shh, shh, shh. Everybody wants to see what Jesus is going to do. Now, everybody knows what this guy is here for. This guy did not come for the teaching. This guy is not here for the sermon. He's here for one reason and one reason only. He's paralyzed, and Jesus is his one hope to not be paralyzed, Everybody knows what this guy wants and what this guy needs. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, so the faith of this guy and his friends, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So picture it. Like Jesus is brushing off all the debris at the anticipation in the room and out in the courtyard is off the charts, and the other sick people, right, and disabled people who have come to this place specifically for Jesus to touch them and heal them are like, all right, enough with the teaching. Here we go. Let's get this thing going, right? And so the four friends, they're, they're high-fiving and they're laughing because they know we did it. We got our friend to Jesus. Our job here is done. He's about to walk out of here, which is really a good thing because we have no idea how we would possibly get him back up. And the paralyzed guy, he's going, okay, this is it. This is the moment that my life changes forever. So the anticipation of the supernatural is just filling the air. And Jesus leans over and he bends down to the man and he says, good news. I've seen the faith of your friends and I've seen your faith and your great hope. And here's the great news. Your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? My sins are forgiven. What? He's looking back up. He's like, okay, guys, I guess you can hoist me back up because we went to all this work to get me near the healer and my sins are forgiven. Yay. I mean, what a huge letdown, right? Everybody's disappointed. The paralytic is disappointed. His friends are disappointed. The crowd, they're like, they're like wait, what did he say? His sins are forgiven. Time out, Jesus you may be the only one here who hasn't caught on. 
We didn't bring him here to get his sins forgiven. He's paralyzed. We went to all this trouble so you could heal him. We're here for a miracle. We want to see our paralyzed friend become unparalyzed. Now, while all this is going on, there's another group observing all of this. All these religious leaders who are watching and evaluating Jesus. And they aren't, they're not disappointed. They're outraged. Right? If you know the story, they are, they're fired up. It says, verse 6, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Okay, the worst thing that you could do in Jewish culture. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So these guys are experts in religious law. They are highly respected. These are the guys that explain to you how to get your sins forgiven. In fact, you cannot get your sins forgiven without these guys explaining it to you. And they hear Jesus, who has no formal religious credentials, they hear Jesus tell this guy that his sins are forgiven, and they're going crazy. They're like, whoa, whoa. You, you can't just announce that this guy's sins are forgiven. Getting your sins forgiven is complicated. Like getting your sins forgiven is expensive and it's time-consuming. There's a process. First, you have to go and buy a spotless sheep or, or, or goat. If you're dirt poor and you can't afford that, you can get a pigeon. But first you have to go and, and buy an animal and, and then you have to make the journey to the temple and you have to make sure that you're ceremonially clean or you can't even go into the temple. Then when you get into the temple, you have to stand in this crazy long line because there's only a handful of experts in all of Israel that can facilitate the forgiveness of sins and the whole nation has to line up for them. And when it's finally your turn, the priest takes your lamb or your goat, and then he slaughters it, and there's blood everywhere. And then the priest says some things, and then the priest can pronounce that your sins are forgiven. But it's only temporary, because the next time you sin, you have to go and buy yourself another animal, and you have to do it all over. And on top of that, all sins are first and foremost sins against God. So whatever this guy's sins are, Rabbi Jesus, they're sins against God, not against you. Therefore, only God has the real authority to forgive sins. Who do you think you are, Jesus? God? Immediately, verse 8, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Fact is, guys, I do have authority to forgive sins. I have authority to do things you can't imagine. But to show you, to demonstrate my authority, to give you a glimpse into who I am, I'm going to do something only God can do. Of course, anyone can say that they can forgive sins, or anyone can, but, but which would be easier? How do you know if that's true? Anyone can say that they can forgive sins, but how do you know if, if they can, that it's true? So he says, what would be easier, to tell this man his sins are forgiven or to set him free from his paralysis to be able to walk? And so he says, let me show you how much authority I have. Now the crowd is leaning in again. Now they're interested again. Nobody cared about forgiveness. But if Jesus is going to perform a miracle, 
If Jesus is going to heal, then this is, a, this, this is a big deal. This is the show. This is why they came. Nobody's there for forgiveness. They have more pressing needs, right? And I think, that, I think that we can relate to the people in the crowd. I think we can relate to the paralyzed guy. Um, I know that I can. And maybe you can too, because here's what I know about me. I got needs. I got stuff I want God to do. And honestly, forgiveness is pretty low on my list of needs. Like, you're a pastor. You should, you should really care about it. Like, I should. But I'm also a human being. And forgiveness is pretty low on my list of needs. It's not usually the main thing that's on my mind. I mean, with all the pressures of life, I got stuff going on. I'm like, God, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. And forgiveness, like, are you kidding? I mean, if something is off in my body, that gets my attention pretty fast. Um, before we started Brookview, I, I tweaked my back working construction. And, um, and so I was working in an oil refinery doing structural steel construction. And I was, I was laid up, like literally had to fla- like lay flat on my back for three weeks. And um, Kate, 24-year-old Kate was in diapers. And her brother was in diapers, two toddlers. I don't recommend it. Um, <laughs> it was an amazing time. And so Jen is doing everything around the house. Sweet Jen is doing everything around the house. And you guys, it was like the most helpless feeling. Because the way things worked in our house is that Jen would, Jen would do projects. And so she would do the projects, and then I would come along after her, and I would clean them all up <laughs> so that our house didn't look like a bomb went off. And so that's how we, that's how we lived. She did stuff, and I cleaned up the stuff, right? So, so here we are. Now I'm laid up, and I'm laying on the ground. I'm, like, laying on the floor so I can sort of be near her and the kids and at least interact with them. And I'm watching her uh, do the stuff, but there's no one to clean up the stuff. And so it's, the, it's just starting to get out of control. And I can feel that she's starting to get, you know, she's getting uptight. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my gosh. It's, I, I, I wish I could. And sometimes I would try to get up and start helping and start picking stuff up. And then my, it would set me back and generally be like, lay down. So it just was, you guys, it was such a helpless feeling. And so do you know what I was praying about for those three weeks? Forgiveness? No, I'm like, God, would you please heal Jen's attitude? (laughs) No, you guys, she's so sweet. And there was never any tension or any (laughs) frustration. (laughs) But being laid up, are, are you, she's, she's got her face pressed against the glass right now. <laughs> I could, I could feel that. Oh. You guys, being laid up in that season, it, like it affected everything, right? And it was a big deal. Like I needed to get back to work. Like I was the income breadwinner at the time. She was a stay-at-home mom and I wasn't getting paid while I'm home doing this. And Jen needed all kinds of help, and there were all kinds of things that I wanted to be doing. So about the only thing I could think about was, God, would you please fix my back, right? Heal me. And in different seasons of life, we have different felt needs. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's relational. 
Sometimes financial. I mean, if you lose your job and you suddenly have no income, that like, it arrests your attention. And so you pray, God, I need a job. I need income, right? God, help me. If an important relationship it goes south, maybe we get in a huge fight with a good friend. Or maybe we have a blowout with one of our kids. Or maybe, maybe our marriage is, is in a dangerous place. That stuff grabs our attention. Those are, those are felt needs. If we're single and we really don't want to be, we want to share our life, we want to have that special person, but day after day, night after night, there's no one. We're, just, we're still alone. That will get our attention. And so we pray, God, do something, right? Send me somebody, pr- preferably somebody kind of attractive, and then, and then there's a check in our spirit. We're like, no, that's pushing it, God. Uh, just, okay, how about this? Let's lower the bar. S- send me somebody that, that doesn't have huge emotional issues, you know? That'd be super cool. I mean, we've got all, all kinds of felt needs. And that stuff, when we have it, is so in our face, and it just monopolizes our attention. Physical problems that need to be overcome, relationships that need to be repaired, income that needs to be earned, bills that need to be paid. We got a whole list of things that we really want and need God to do. So guess what's not usually at the top of our list? Forgiveness. In fact, for many of us, forgiveness is really not even on our list at all. I mean, most of us don't wake up in the morning and we're just first thing in the morning, we wake up and we're like, man, more than anything else, God, I just need forgiveness. We think, God, I need a promotion. God, I need a job. God, I need a way to pay my bills. I, I, I need this. God, I need this relationship to be fixed. Oh my gosh, the ache. I need my body to start working right. I need, I need to find somebody to share my life with. But forgiveness, it's most of us not even on the radar. And that's Jesus' point with this paralyzed man. Everybody sees this man's huge need like it's obvious. Everybody wants to see a miracle. But I guarantee you, when he was lowered down, nobody was thinking, boy, I hope Jesus forgives him. In fact, Jesus tells this man that his sins are forgiven, and my sense is the crowd's kind of disappointed. They're like, is that it? That's not what they came for. Forgiveness isn't exciting, like a, a miracle. That's exciting, like that's juicy. Forgiveness just has a hard time making it to the top of our list. And here's why. Because we do not see the way Jesus sees. Jesus believed that all suffering is unnatural. Jesus believed that all suffering is ultimately the result of sin. In fact, this, this truth is so huge that it's what the first three chapters of the Bible are all about. Like, here's a summary of the first three chapters of the Bible. God created a beautiful world, and he put people in it. And they had an intimate, life-giving relationship with God. They walked with him, talked with him, had full access to him in a way that we cannot even fathom. And they were filled up by God's love. And they had a depth of community with one another, companionship with one another that that we've never known. They were completely truthful with one another. They hid nothing from each other. There was no shame. There was no lies. There was no deceit. It was the kind of connection that all of us are longing for. And yet we run from We long for it, but we struggle to open ourselves up to actually experience it. 
And they had a beautiful relationship with all of creation. We're told creation was vibrant and growing and changing. And their job was to order it and manage it, to take the beauty of all these raw materials and to refashion them and to reshape them into, into great things, gardens and homes and music and art and technology. And so you just picture this. They're, they're living in harmony with God and with each other and all of creation. And then sin entered the world and it messed everything up. No more intimate, unhindered relationship with God. People became distant from God, rebellious toward God, distrusting of God. Humanity began to be at odds with God. And humanity began to be at odds with itself. With sin came every kind of relational breakdown. It opened the door for hatred and jealousy and gossip and and criticism and abuse and racism and war. After the fall, even the best relationships are now flawed, right? Even the best friendships and marriages are a mere shadow of what friendship and marriages are intended to be. And now even creation itself is deeply affected by sin. God placed the first people in a complex web of relations with creation. And the reason their decision to disobey was so destructive is because it threw off the balance of everything, like the weather, the trees, the oceans, everything. Like why are there earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and droughts? Because creation has been deeply affected by sin. When the door to sin was opened, all kinds of suffering came flooding in. And so along with sin came every kind of disease and breakdown of the human body and ultimately death. See, Jesus believed that all suffering is unnatural. It's all the result of sin. And that's what the first three chapters of the Bible are all about. This world is totally messed up because of sin. And we feel the reality of this in the marrow of our bones. Nothing is quite right. Something's off. You know why you so often feel unappreciated and unloved? Because you live in a messed up world. You know why it's so hard to truly connect with people? Because people are messed up. And so are you. You know why there's cancer and birth defects and diseases? You know why we have all kinds of different physical problems? Because this is a fractured, broken world. And all of it, ultimately, is the result of sin. This is how Jesus saw the world. Now here's what Jesus believed about himself that he had the authority, think about this, that he had the authority to reverse every single effect of sin, that he would eventually restore all things, that he would free humanity from all the effects of sin. So here's Jesus with a man ravaged by physical disability. Jesus knows that this is one of the many effects of sin, and not that this man is, is like paralyzed. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Not that, G, that this man's paralyzed because he sinned and God's punishing him or something. But he lives in a world devastated by sin, a, a, a world that is not as God intended. And so Jesus essentially says, I have some good news. I can set you free from all the consequences of sin in every form. I have the authority to forgive sins. Son, good news. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, back to our scene. Verse 8 again. 
Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Okay, now this is the moment that everybody came for. This is the moment that everybody was hoping for. Verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus heals this guy, and suddenly the crowd is going nuts. Like, this is the show, baby. This is, this is what they came for. But I wonder if amid all the excitement, Jesus was just a little bit saddened because it seemed like they missed the greater point. Jesus was trying to show them, I have the power to overcome all the consequences of sin. Like guys, this is only a small sample of what's coming in full. But when he said, son, your sins are forgiven, they all yawned, and they're all like, okay, whatever. The whole point of Jesus healing this guy was to say, look, I have authority to forgive sins. And in that, I have the authority to overcome the consequences of sin. So when you think to yourselves, only God has the authority to forgive sins, he's like, guys, you're absolutely right. Do you see who I am? Do you, do you see and to show you that I have the ability to forgive sins and ultimately to remove their consequences, I'm going to remove one of the consequences of sin right now as a sign for you. And Jesus heals the guy, and the crowd goes crazy. But I wonder if Jesus thought, oh man, if you could only see, like this is just a small part of what's to come. I wish you could understand what my life and sacrifice will ultimately accomplish for you. I wish you could grasp the significance that I'm completely removing for you all the consequences of sin. If you, if you learn to entrust yourself to me, someday you'll experience the fullness of life as God intended it. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no effects of sin. So that longing that you have to feel loved and wanted and respected and appreciated, you will know it in full the desire that you have for your body to work right, you have no idea what your redeemed body will be like. The desire you sometimes have to experience more of God, I can't even describe what that will be like. In fact, it's all beyond description, but I wish you could get it because if you did, you wouldn't save all your wow for a miracle that only includes physical healing. You'd go all out in celebration of the truth that you can be fully forgiven, that all the consequences of sin will one day be fully removed. And had they, had they really understood who was standing in front of them, had they understood the depth of Jesus' real authority, maybe forgiveness would have sounded more exciting to them. Maybe everyone wouldn't have yawned. But here's the deal. You and I are in a very different place than they were. We know a whole lot more than they did. We know what Jesus would go on to do, and we can know what it ultimately means. 
We know that those same hands that reached out to heal a paralyzed man, those same hands were stretched out and they were nailed to a cross. And in that moment, Jesus paid the price for freedom. Jesus liberated the whole world from the consequences of sin. And that means that everything that isn't right in our world will one day be repaired. God has not left us alone to suffer in our pain. In Jesus, God entered our world and endured the pain of the fall, and he experienced all the consequences of sin himself. On the cross, Jesus bore the full extent of it. We all have things right now that we want God to fix in our lives. We have stuff that we want God to do for us. But what Jesus wants us to see, what he wants us to know, is that all of our problems, all of them, are mere symptoms. They're symptoms of living in brokenness. And every miracle he performed demonstrated his authority over that brokenness. Every time he dealt with a symptom of the effects of sin, whether it was leprosy or hunger or blindness or paralysis or poverty or shame or loneliness, every time he dealt with these symptoms, he demonstrated his authority to restore all things. So we all have felt needs. We all have pressing needs. We all have things we want Jesus to do for us. Things that are screaming for our attention. But every once in a while, it's good to stop and remember Jesus has already dealt with our greatest need. He's freed us from every long-term effect of sin, and one day all things will be made right. If the story of Jesus is real, that's the story. It's unbelievable, and yet it's believable. And so today, I, I, just, I just want to invite all of us to take a moment and say, wow. And so the application of this morning's message is simply this. I'm inviting you to pause and reflect on what Jesus has done. Because we're all walking in here with problems, right? We are. We live in a deeply broken world. The beautiful, the, the beautiful good news is the brokenness will not have the last word. And here's why. Because your sins have been forgiven, no matter what you've done. No matter what you've done, your sins have been forgiven. And that means all the effects of sin have been defeated. And so whatever your struggles are, whatever your struggles are, they're temporary. Healing is coming, right? Justice is coming. Wholeness is coming. It's coming. It's coming in all its fullness the way God always intended. And that's happening because our Father has refused to give up on us. Because he's made a way for us to come home and he stands at the door with open arms saying, my child. And there are pictures of what that will be like woven all through scripture. They're everywhere. Um, this past month, I've been following my daily Bible reading plan and for part of that plan, I've been in the book of Isaiah and I know many of you have because many of you are on the same plan as me. But there is a, a passage in Isaiah chapter 11 that I just find, it's just stunning. It just gives me goosebumps. It's a, it's a messianic passage about the coming king. And it was originally spoken to people living in exile, right? Israel conquered people that had lost their homes and they'd been enslaved. People under the authority of an evil foreign king. And this is about 700 bef years before Jesus came on the scene. 700 years. But God reaches out to them through Isaiah the prophet and through other prophets, and he says, these circumstances will not have the last word. 
And so Isaiah has a ton of, of, of these pictures kind of just woven all throughout that's absolutely beautiful. But Isaiah 11 is just especially stunning to me, and it, it starts with this. Verse 1, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So out of the stump of Jesse, a metaphor for this broken nation of Israel, what, what once was a, 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 they're a beaten nation, what, what once had been this majestic tree has been kind of chopped down to now being a stump. And out of, out of Jesse, out of that stump will come a branch. A king will arise. But the story is that he will be a very different kind of king. A king like the world has never seen. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And he will govern with justice and grace. Continuing on, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide, decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. This king will judge fairly, and he will take up the cause of the hurting and the broken and the marginalized and the poor, and he will use his might and power to defend the weak, to heal the broken, to bring justice to the oppressed. Continuing on, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now here's the part that really, really hits me. Isaiah uses this incredible imagery to describe the kingdom of the king. Not just the king, but the kingdom of the king. And Isaiah describes peace like we could never imagine. And I just, I find that these are, and these kinds of images are all through scripture, but I find these particularly breathtaking. Here, here's what he says. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. Try to visualize the depth of the peace that's being described here. He goes, continues on. He says, the cow will feed with the bear, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And all the vegetarians said, amen. <laughs> the infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. And why will it be this way? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You ever wish people could know what God is like? It's coming. The whole earth will know the beauty and the love and the kindness of God. This is our hope. This is the heart of our king. This is happening. Why? Because your sins have been forgiven. It's happening because my sins have been forgiven. And so I just, I just want to close with a question this morning. When is the last time you said, wow, and poured your heart out in worship for the reality that sin has been defeated? And this morning, I just want to invite you to enter into that heart posture, to think about the reality of the word's behind these songs that we're about to sing and just let your soul cry out. 
There is something so transformative that happens when we just, we just humble ourselves and bow before the king. When we see him as he is and we, when we remember what he's done. And this morning as we remember, uh, we're going to take communion. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to sing together for the next 25 minutes or so, and at any point in there, you can come up and take communion. We have a gluten-free option in the back, I think. Um, and you, so you can take it back to your seat, or you can take it standing, or you can come and kneel, kind of kneel here and spend some time with God just kneeling, taking the posture that somebody would take when they come before a king, and just praying. And by the way, everybody is invited to take communion here. Um, anyone's welcome. You don't have to have taken a class or even be part of our church. Because of his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of Jesus is now wide open to all of us, and it is open to you. It is available now and on into eternity, and so you're, you're invited to come. Father in heaven, when I think of just the magnitude of what you're doing on planet earth and what you will one day do as, as heaven and earth are no longer separated but become one again. I just can't even fathom the beauty of that. And I've already experienced your, your healing touch in my life in so many ways and I've, I've lived life among others who have, have experienced your healing touch in so many ways. But all of that is just a taste of this incredible banquet that one day is going to come. And God, it's so easy to get fixated on all the things in the world that aren't right and all the things that I wish were better and how come you're not fixing this and how come you're not fixing that and why aren't you doing my thing on, on, on my timetable? But ultimately, you, you've entered this world. You've absorbed all of the brokenness yourself. Jesus, you, you came willingly. You endured horrific conditions to set us free to know something different. And this morning, I just pray that, that we, would, we would take a minute and, and take all of that in and that you would help us to just, in, in, in our hearts, get to a place of saying, wow.